I'm kind of going to be all over the Bible this morning. You're welcome to try and follow along as I mentioned a verse. But let me say this. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pews. And you are welcome to take one home. Um, You don't have to read it in three and a half months like Alan. But you're welcome to do that. All right. Uh, So feel free to help yourself there. There are some significant dates if we looked back in world history. And I just want to mention a few from... from, uh, 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 the 19th century, uh, actually the first one is going to be the 20th century, um, January 10th, 2020, the World Health Organization began using the phrase coronavirus. We all remember that. Like it, don't like it, politicize it, don't politicize it. It became a part of our life. Early in the 1970s, personal computers were introduced. Now you have one on your phone, and uh, the vast majority of us have that. Um, April 3rd, 1973, the first phone call made was made on a handheld cellular telephone. July 21st, 1969, I remember where I was when Neil Armstrong took his first step on the moon. Maybe you remember that as well. April 4th, 68, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated um, because of his equal rights uh, works. June 5th through 10th, 1967, Israel miraculously won a six-day war. November 2nd, 20, November 22nd, 63, John F. Kennedy became the fourth U.S. president to be assassinated. Lincoln was first, then Garfield, then McKinney, uh, McKinley. Kennedy followed. September 24th, 1957, the Little Rock Nine were protected by federal troops as, a, as they started classes in an all-white school. My wife wrote a book about that, one of the uh, players of the gospel in that particular arena of the world, and it was made actually into a movie a couple of years ago. Um, we look backwards and think about that, and it's just absurd and ridiculous, but it was, it was part of who our world was. In 1953, DNA was discovered. May 15, 1948, Israel declared its independence. World War II ended September 2, 1945. This one everyone should know. May 15, 1940, McDonald's was founded. Okay? <laughs> Wall Street crashed in October of 29. In 1921, July 1st, the Chinese Communist Party was founded. 28 years later, it became the People's Republic of China. It continues today and continues to be a world power. Um, like them, don't like them. They are there. They're not going to go away. Um, We could go back further into the 1800s or the 1700s or the Dark Ages and find other significant events that evolved, uh, that involved mankind. Some are significant battles, military battles, um, and wars that have affected us. Others are discoveries or works that have helped mankind. There are also many significant dates and events that we find in Scripture But I think four, for me, this is just my opinion, four rise to the top of significant dates and events. One would be the event of the six days of creation. Um, There is a God. He is creator. It doesn't matter what science wants to say. It's the truth. Uh, It's based on God's word. Uh, It will pan out and prove true. The six days of creation, the fall of mankind shortly after creation, the virgin birth, of the Son of God, 
and the resurrection, both linked to the fall of mankind, except for sin, Scripture says there would be no need for, there would be no need for a Savior, no need for a virgin birth if there were no sin, no need for a resurrection. There is also a future significant date uh, that's going to happen, and that's when Jesus is going to come again and receive His believers, His followers, unto Himself. But this morning our task is the significant event of the resurrection. The reason I invited those um, present when Alan took the challenge some six, seven, eight years ago to come seven Sundays in a row is the same reason that I would invite you, if you're visiting with us today, um, it, to do the same. God has so much truth to contribute to our lives. And if we come at Easter, we hear about the resurrection, and it is truth. And I think it's one of the top four truths of Scripture. That's not to minimize anything else that's written in Scripture. Um, but if we only always hear of the resurrection, or the virgin birth, we're very limit, limited on what we understand of who God is. God has so much truth to contribute to our lives. If we, uh, it's, it's where we learn truth from Scripture about God, His inspired Word. Jesus came and offers not just life, but abundant life. I think Alan is walking in that these days, and as he continues to walk in faith and submission to the Lord, he continues in that, a joy-filled life, a life uh, lived in relationship with God, um, eternal life, a life filled with discoveries that are exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, a life that can be victorious against our spiritual enemy who is called the devil, Satan, the prince of the power of the air, just to name a couple, two or three of his names. So is God or should God stir your heart this morning? Ask him for help and purpose to pursue him. We will open God's word here every Sunday. That's who we are. That's what we're going to do. We will look at what God has to say and seek to understand it. I need the truth from God's word to be able to walk in victory in my life spiritually. And I know that you need the truth from God's word to do the same. We can fool people, but we're not going to be able to fool God. This morning what I want us to do is look at three things. I want us to look at the reality or the proof of the resurrection. I want us to look at the power of the resurrection. And I want us to look at the people of the resurrection as well. And the, the first one is the reality, the proof. And I just kind of grabbed from different places in Scripture more of a topical message. If you wanted to find it in the Gospels, you could find it in Matthew 27 or Mark 15 or Luke 23 or John 20. Um, the Old Testament also has Scripture that speak and prophesy of Jesus' death and the suffering that He would go through, the resurrection of the Messiah. Uh, we're not going to turn there, but Isaiah 53 speaks of a suffering servant. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The adulteress that was on the, uh, uh, the video um, was saying the one who, who could have condemned her offered her mercy and paid the price that she should have paid. Psalm 22 foretold various details of Jesus' Jesus's crucifixion a thousand years before death on a cross even existed didn't even exist yet. And yet the psalmist was writing about the specific details. In Genesis 22, I think Abraham 
um, his willingness to offer his son Isaac and believe that they would both return after worshiping God is a picture of Jesus' sacrifice and ultimately the resurrection. We know from the story in Genesis 22, God stopped him. He didn't do that, um, but he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead. Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, Now I know that you fear God since you have not held from me your son, your only son from me. And he emphasized only some three different places. Chapter 22, verse 2, verse 12, verse 16. And it just fast forwards me to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Abraham was willing to do that as well. Hebrews later records by faith Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Uh, It's a picture of the resurrection. Um, There is a proof and a reality in Scripture of the resurrection. The New Testament tells the story of the resurrection. You could open your Bible if you want to open your Bible, because I'm going to read a few verses out of John chapter 20 right now that speak of the story of the resurrection. John chapter 20. Y'all make me nervous. I don't usually get nervous. Y'all make me nervous this morning. (laughs) Oh, well. Not about me. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 1 says this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. But Mary stood aside, verse 11, Mary stood aside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in the white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, She turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. All he had to say was her name. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples uh, that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now think about this with me just for a second. Think about how intimate Jesus was with the Father, that we trace that all through the Gospels. And he opted to engage Mary with the intimacy of the relationship that they have even before he had ascended to the Father. I don't know what it means that I am ascending to the Father, to be honest with you. But evidently it was in this situation where he's ascending to the Father. Don't touch me. I'm still doing this. But he engaged Mary. That's the intimacy that he had with her. The intimacy I believe that he has with all of his followers. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures that he is seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James and all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also. Luke records the famous words, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he what? He is Risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. 
Matthew 28 records, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus whom was cruci- who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Mark as well in chapter 16, verse 6, the, the angel said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He isn't here. See the place where they laid him. If Jesus were to stand an investigation and trial anywhere similar to the January 6th trial that's going on, he has multiple witnesses of those who would, be, who would validate his resurrection. I want to draw our attention to something Jesus said early in his ministry as we're looking at the idea of the reality and the proof of the resurrection. And I'm in John chapter 2 if you want to look at a couple of verses there. Something he said early in his ministry was this, destroy the temple, uh, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That bothered the rulers of the Jews a lot. We find it in John chapter 2, early in his ministry, there were two temple cleansings. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there were two temple cleansings, one during the Passion Week, and you can find that in the last week of Jesus' life, and you know that it's a Passion Week because of the details that surround him cleansing the temple. The other, um, we find right after the first miracle recorded in John chapter 2, again, look at the details and the place where he's at, and you recognize that it it was a cleansing of the temple as well. In John chapter 2, Jesus had cleansed the temple of unholy activity. He had a zeal for his father's house early in his ministry. After he had cleansed the temple, verse 18, chapter 2 of John says this, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us that you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? This phrase bothered them so much that it followed Jesus all the way to his mock trial, all the way to him hanging on the cross as well, and it even passed over into the early church because it was recited again when they were seeking to stone Stephen. During his mock trial, they paid false witnesses who said this, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple and to build it in three days. He said that at the first cleansing of the temple in John 2, three years earlier. And yet they're still using it as, as, uh, as testimony against him. While hanging on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39, Scripture says, Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down for the, from the cross. This idea that you destroy this, this temple, I'll raise it up in three days, that really bothered them. And it... And it followed him all through his ministry. In John chapter 2, though, verse 21, says he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was in the grave three days, and then he resurrected from the, from the dead. Verse 22, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Later in Acts chapter 6, those seeking to take Stephen's life use the same phrase. He is following and proclaiming the one who said he was going to restore this temple in three days. There is abundant proof of the resurrection in Scripture. I want us to think about the power behind the resurrection. I want us to think about the power of God in the resurrection. The power of God, excuse me, the power of the resurrection concerning God. Death 
could not keep him. How many of us, and I don't mean to get, take you where you don't want to go, but how many of us have had loved ones who have died? My hand's up multiple times. Lots of us, if not all of us. Death could not keep him. In his earthly form, Jesus demonstrated divine power that was stronger than death. We think about the loved ones that we have that have gone on before us, and and we would love to be able to spend a little bit more time with them. We don't get to spend more time with them yet. We hope that they're believing loved ones and that there's going to be a reunion day, but death could not keep Jesus. I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. That's who he was, and that's exactly what Jesus did. The power of the resurrection was that Jesus had the ability, though dead, to completely rise from the dead. The power of the resurrection shows God's just demands for sin were satisfied. My sin and your sin required a sacrifice. And Jesus was the only one who could and the only one who was willing to take that price upon himself. He was delivered up because of our offenses, was raised because of our justification. The power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection verifies God is good for his word even in impossible situations. If God has declared something, don't go with your logic. Go with the truth that's declared in the word of God. Don't go with your logic that how could somebody have spoken and creation happens. Go with the truth that's expressed in the word of God. There are so many, there are hundreds and hundreds of verses that prophesy about Jesus and his birth and, what, and his life and how he was going to die and how he was going to be raised from the dead. God is good for his word even in impossible situations. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, nothing is impossible with God. Not just his resurrection, but also his suffering and prophecies foretold surrounding, surrounding it all demonstrate that God is absolutely good for his word. How could the psalmist in Psalm 22, a thousand years before crucif- crucifying somebody on a cross, p- explain the details of someone being crucified on the cross except for God? God gave them that ability. They printed it. God is good for his word. The death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord emphasizes that that to God, sin is significant. It's not just some small thing. It's not just something that I can tip my hat to. It isn't that I had to walk like the adulterous woman or like Jerry, and some of you have heard some of my story, or like Alan, or like whoever it is that, that you are. To God, sin is significant. It isn't that I weigh myself by comparing myself to the person next to me, and I'm a little bit better than they are. I look at myself in light of the righteousness of a pure and holy God, and to him sin is significant. He required the death, 
the burial and the resurrection of his son in order to overcome sin. Sacrifice and offering, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe, verse 9. Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire. That's what they gave in the Old Testament. Nor had pleasure in them, which were all offered according to the law. Behold, speaking of Jesus, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, the offerings for sin, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body. Of Jesus Christ once for all. It's the only way into the presence of God. The power of the resurrection is significant. We could add many other ways it is significant concerning the person and the power of God. The power of the resurrection is significant concerning the believer also. The believer does not have to fear death no matter how it comes. If I am in Jesus Christ, I recognize he died on the cross for me. And if you're here this morning and you would say, I don't recognize that. And you're hearing God's word and he's stirring your heart and and drawing you to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait until the end of a church service for that to happen. Believe. I was in my mailman's Jeep. If you're around here very very long, you're going to hear the story. Um, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have, as a follower of Christ, I don't have to fear death no matter how it comes. If it comes by the coronavirus, if it comes through a car accident, if it comes from old age, it doesn't matter how it comes. I don't have to fear death because just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, Jerry will be resurrected from the dead because I'm in Jesus Christ. He's my holiness and my righteousness. To die, Paul would say in Philippians 1 verse 21, to die is gain. He didn't wonder He wasn't just hoping. His faith walk was so real that he recognized that to die, to be with his Lord, it isn't just for Paul. It isn't just for other, it's for other people as well. Those who have such a dynamic walk with the Lord that for them too to die would be considered gain. It's true of anybody who's in the Lord, but to walk in that truth is another story. Believer, I hope that's true for you, but you won't have the confidence that to die is gain unless you have a dynamic walk with the Lord. Reading His Word, being filled with His Spirit, communing with Him, spending time with Him, that's when you get that confidence. Someone else's confidence isn't good enough for you. I have that confidence, but someone else, my confidence isn't good enough for you. Paul's confidence isn't good enough for me. You have to have the dynamic walk with the Lord, which comes through spending time. It's a relationship. Have that dynamic walk with the Lord, and then you too would recognize that to die is gain. We do not have to fear death. doesn't matter what we're going through. We do not have to fear death. The power of the resurrection concerning the believer. I am just as identified with Christ in his resurrection as I am in his death and his burial. And at baptism, oftentimes we'll quote chapter 6 of Romans, buried with Christ and likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. And just as I'm identified with his death, he died for my sin. I'm identified also with his resurrection. I have the wherewithal spiritually to walk in the victorious walk with the Lord because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sin does not have dominion over me anymore. Not because of me. It's because Jesus overcame it. And when I recognize I'm in him, it doesn't have dominion over me. Listen to these verses. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, 
Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, the old, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's who I am. I don't have to give in to sin anymore. I'm not saying I'm perfect and that I don't fall from time to time, but I don't have to. I have the spiritual wherewithal submitting myself to the Spirit of God, to the Word of God, to reckon myself to be dead unto sin. That's not being, that's not being country. Well, I reckon I'm just dead unto sin. It means I am dead unto, that was a joke. That's okay to laugh. It means I am dead unto sin and I don't have to walk there anymore. And so now when temptation comes my way, and it does, just as it does for you, I have a choice. Am I going to submit myself to this temptation, or am I going to walk in fellowship with the Lord? The resurrection of my Lord gave me the wherewithal to turn my back on sin. We sang it, the chains have been broken, I don't have to do that anymore. That wasn't the way it was for Jerry before. It wasn't the way it was for Alan, or for the adulterous woman, or for you either. We didn't have the ability, but the resurrection of Christ gives us that if we're following and we have a dynamic walk with him. Being alive to God now, the resurrection, the power of it, being alive to God now being, uh, and being confident of a future resurrection are solid biblical truths. 1 Corinthians 15 says, I tell you a mystery. It was a mystery, an unknown thing. Till then, we shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible or resurrected, resurrected, and we shall be changed. The assurance of a future resurrection because of the power of the resurrection is given to believers as a comfort for believers that have gone on before us. There is a resurrection day. I don't know how the dynamic is. What I do know is that there is no marrying or giving in marriage in heaven. We find that in the Gospels. And so the relationship somehow is focused on the Lord. It isn't just I get to be with my mom who was a believing uh, loved one who has passed along. Um, so the relationship is unique. I think they all get brought up to a, a significantly higher relationship instead of some being more significant and others being less significant. But it's something that's given to us as a comfort for believing loved ones. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. There is, a biblical, there is ample biblical proof of the resurrection. The, there is also demonstration of the power of the resurrection. And I want to finish with this. Who are the people of the promised future resurrection. Jesus already raised from the dead. And then he speaks of a future resurrection as well. Who are the people of the promised future resurrection? Are we all there? I hope so. But are we all there? Is it the religious right? The one who has all the answers? The one who, like the Pharisees, thanked God and he wasn't like, that he wasn't like that sinner? That was over there? No. The people of the heavenly resurrection, because of 
and by God's grace are the Allens and the adulterous woman and the Jerry Tharps and the lawbreakers and the spiritually needy and the one willing to believe God for his word, the one willing to humble himself and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who the future resurrection is for. It is wrong to think, it is wrong to think everybody gets there because God is kind and loving. Scripture does not teach that. It is not all the different religiously devoted people in the world because they're all sincere. It's not all Americans because we're a Christian nation. Well, that's kind of a joke to even say anymore, isn't it? Maybe we should say it like this, because we're not a predominantly Muslim or Buddhist or what other, uh, uh, other religious group kind of nation. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, prayed a prayer in your name, I'm inserting this, went to church in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, apart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So it isn't even everybody who calls upon the Lord that knows the right words to say. Who were the people of the resurrection? The thief on the cross, the woman caught in adultery, the Gentile centurion, they were considered dirty, from Luke chapter 7 or Acts chapter 10, the demon-possessed man who had a legion of demons tormenting him, Nicodemus, a member of a religious elite group who repented of his empty religiosity. You might think, well, I'm in pretty good shape then because I'm not as bad as any of them. Actually, the opposite would be true. You might not have acted out in your sinfulness like some of us, but the potential was there. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. All of the kids in the building, all of the adults in the building. The wages of that, the wage of being born a descendant of Adam is death physically and spiritually, which is even more significant. And that pride that says, I'm not as bad as that guy or that gal, pride is the one thing that God resists, it says in James chapter 4, verse 6. It's not about comparing myself with other people who've walked a less desirable path in life. It's about looking into God's perfect law and seeing that I have fallen short and I need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to atone, to pay for my sin as well. I'm not looking at somebody else. I'm looking at God, and I'm looking in a mirror at me, and Jerry needs Jesus' blood to cover him from all sin and unrighteousness. We've been talking about the resurrection of the just, those that are justified in Jesus' perfect redemptive sacrifice. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him, all because of God's kindness, all because of his grace, all because of his mercy. The resurrection of the just is for those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ with what I'm going to call a biblical belief. And the reason I call it a biblical belief, we've been defining in the book of James that we've studied over the last 10, 12 weeks, because there are some who believe like demons believe as well. There are some who believe, but the belief that they have doesn't play out in I am genuinely submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical belief is critical. Don't marvel at this. The hour is coming, Jesus said in John 5, in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Acts 24, there will be a resurrection of the dead, both the just and the unjust. This being so, I always strive to have a clear conscience without offense toward God and men. Even Daniel in in the Old Testament said, Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Everyone will give an account to God. The only acceptable payment for my sin is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that if you're here all of the time, or if you're just here today, that you recognize the only thing that is going to give me a right relationship with my Creator God is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if you come to church every week and pack a pew and give money and sacrifice and serve and do all the stuff. The only thing that's going to pay for, for your sin, the only thing that will pay for my sin, is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Applied by, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Right now would be a great time to believe. Not a commercial, it's a plea. Applied by faith, believing God for his word, a biblical faith, a genuine faith, and God knows, demonstrated by the fruits of biblical faith, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, not perfection, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a sensitivity to sin and repentance when one falls into it. Biblical faith is the reason 1 John was written. These things I've written to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. And so he gives some tests. Biblical faith is one of the reasons, one of the reasons that James was written as well to the religious. There's a resurrection of the just. There's also a resurrection of the unjust. The unjust or the unrighteous, the unrepentant, the unbeliever, the unbiblical faith believer. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, some sort of resurrection there. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is nowhere close to being like a fluffy Easter bunny story. And I get it, but one is true and the other is not. And I would rather have you hear the truth of God's word and allow God's spirit through the truth of his word to prick your heart that you might believe um, than to have you open up a chocolate egg. But you can have a chocolate egg later too. (laughs) Today is a great day to believe. And here's how you do it. Here I am, God. This is all I got. And I know it's not much. But I recognize that you love me and you sent your son to die on the cross for me. It's that simple. Nothing fluffy. Doesn't have to be some nice, great, verbose religious prayer. It's just, here I am. Thank you that you love me and died on the cross for me. Today would be a great day to believe. As many as received him To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you need to believe and you know that, today's a great day. If you're just learning, can I challenge you kindly to consider the six or seven or eight week challenge? Come and hear the word of God consistently. Begin to read it and see how God uses it. To, to challenge your heart and the thinking that you might be thinking as well. 
Let God have his way in, our, in your heart and in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. We thank you that Easter is a celebration of a resurrection. We like spring and candy and bunnies, but we thank you for the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and because of a love motivation, offers forgiveness of sin and an invitation into your family. And Father, I pray for every person within hearing range right now that you would arrest our attention, cause us to be concerned about our spiritual standing before you. And if today would be the day of some who believe already saying, thank you, God, that you have forgiven me, then may they worship you saying thank you. If today would be the day that some would need to say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, just like I did simplistically in my mailman's Jeep in 1980, then may, may your spirit work in their heart and they call upon the name of the Lord today. Father, if you're beginning to use your word to stir someone's heart, bring them back so that we can, so that we can study and, and understand your word together. Your will be done is what we pray. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.